Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts, or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org. I'm Michelle Haygood, and this is On Air, a podcast focusing on conversations with artists and creatives from Centrum's residency community. I am broadcasting to you from the lands and waters of the Coast Salish people in a place known as Katai to the Sklalem people and today known as Port Townsend, Washington. This podcast is focused on bringing artists together in community to explore the ways that place, process, and the personal intersect. We dive into the many ways that artists are responding to the current times, affecting change, and finding sustenance during health, climate, and social crisis. Join us and take an hour to be in residence and unpack your own relationships to creativity, time, and place. Thank you for being here and enjoy this episode. there. Thank you for being here today. Today I have the pleasure of bringing you a conversation between Martha Worthley, our former Centrum Residency and Youth Programs Manager, and Natalie Goldberg, author and former Centrum resident. We are in our third episode of this podcast, and the format we bring you today is one that we'll be continuing to experiment with in the coming sessions, where we step out of the recording booth and let two folks talk to each other. The intention with this is to create some of the conditions that we witness and experience when people participate in residencies. I've been working with Saprit Kalon from New Archives Online Journal, who's really been helping me further understand the potential of this approach and who has a similar model that she works with for their conversation series. You'll hear more about that collaboration in the next episode. But for today, I just wanted to introduce this format and say that I've really been gaining a new appreciation for what it means for institutional voices to sometimes get out of the way and not impose or assume particular narratives that we might think are going to emerge. And in that spirit, we're also really honoring something that happens in residencies when people get together for a studio visit or for a coffee and when they're really in a state of focus on their work And what we see is that in addition to being able to hone in on their practices in a new space, intersecting with people who have very different practices or similar ones creates a whole nother layer of influence and insight into what they might produce during their time here. So I'm really excited to be making space for that in this podcast format. And so today, you'll hear Martha and Natalie catch up on life. They'll reminisce about Natalie's first experience at Centrum and her writing and painting philosophies, Zen practice, living with cancer, and the importance of her teaching practice. Martha shares her own experience of reading Natalie's work as it relates to her studio practice and her time at Centrum. 
And at the closing, Natalie reads an excerpt from her upcoming book on haiku, which is really wonderful. I really encourage you to to listen to the end, and I know you'll want to anyway. Martha Worthley is a visual artist and arts educator, in addition to being our former Centrum Residency and Youth Programs Manager. As a visiting artist in the schools, she worked with the Port Townsend School District to increase its capacity to provide sequential arts education for grades K through 6, and she also taught in intensive programs for high school students in the arts through Centrum. While maintaining a studio practice, Martha spent seven years as an arts editor of the local newspaper, spent a year in Mexico teaching 530 elementary students at the American School of Guadalajara, and then returned home to run Centrum's art and education programs for youth in grades 5 through 12. She has shown her work regionally, and many of her images have been used for posters and festival stage backdrops. In her last few years at Centrum, Martha ran the residency program, and she started the Emerging Artist Residency and worked to improve the vitality of residencies at Centrum and really laid the groundwork for the work that I now have the pleasure of taking on. She is currently now working full-time in her studio, and we will list Martha's website uh, in our show notes as well. Natalie Goldberg is the author of 15 books, including Writing Down the Bones, which has sold over 1 million copies and has been translated into 14 languages and really started a revolution in the way we practice writing in this country. I personally have been reading this book for the first time and can't believe I'm reading it for the first time and can tell that it is going to have a radical impact on how I think about writing in my life. And in her latest memoir, Let the Whole Thundering World Come Home, she shares her experience with cancer, grounded in her practice of Zen and writing. Her other books include The Great Spring, Writing Zen and the Zigzag Life, the novel Banana Rose, and the beloved Long Quiet Highway, Waking Up in America, a memoir about her Zen teacher, Katajiri Roshi. Natalie is also a prolific painter, Her book, Living Color, Painting, Writing, and the Bones of Seeing, describes painting as her second art form. Top of My Lungs contains 40 poems, 20 of her paintings in color, and an essay, How Poetry Saved My Life. Natalie's paintings are available to view on her website, which we will list in in the notes. For more than 40 years, Natalie has practiced Zen and taught seminars and writing as a practice. People from around the world have attended her life-changing workshops, and she has earned a reputation as a great teacher. The Oprah Winfrey Show sent a film crew to spend the day with Natalie for a segment on spirituality that covered her writing, teaching, painting, and walking meditation, and she currently lives in northern New Mexico. I learned so much from listening to Martha and Natalie, and I know you will too, so please enjoy. Hi, Martha. Hi, Natalie. It's so good to see you again. Great to see you. And I know the room you're in. Natalie, I remember the day you 
came to Centrum. It was a Sunday, and I had uh, about 60 kids checking in for a program with um, water and art as the focus, marine science and art. And um, I just wonder if you could retell the story of how you heard about Centrum. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was, for a month, on Bainbridge Island. It was April 1970, oh no, not 1970, <laughs> 2017. Yeah. And it was April, and um, I was staying for a month at the Bloedel Retreat Center um, Refuge on um, Bainbridge Island. I was the writer in residence. And this was all new to me. I didn't really do that many writer in residence before that. And it rained. If you look it up, that April, they said it was the most rain that Washington has ever had in the oh entire gosh. history of weather. Now, for me, it was heaven on earth because I live in New Mexico, which is very dry. And at this point, living here in so long, I long for rain and humidity. So while everybody else was freaking out in yeah. Washington, I thought it was glorious. I remember it would rain full out at the beginning of the evening and continue that way through the entire evening till the morning. And I thought, oh, you're all so lucky. <laughs> and I think people wanted to kill me. We were but drowning. I, I know, I know. <laughs> so it was a Sunday and it was cold and rainy. And I have friends on Bainbridge and um, they kept talking about Centrum and kept saying how wonderful Port Townsend is. And I'd heard about it forever, but they uh -huh. said it's an hour drive away. And I was given as part of the residency, a tiny little car with, a, I forget what they're called, but tiny, tiny little cars. And I screwed up my courage and I drove to Port Townsend. And I got into the downtown and there was a great gallery, which is closed now. I went in it and I immediately bought a painting. Oh, it was wow. a painting I really liked. And then someone directed me up to Centrum. And I couldn't, to be honest with you, even now, I don't know what Centrum is. Yeah. I just know it has these great buildings in this great area in Fort Warden. And... I walked in and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. And there was a bench with some flyers. So I walked in and I was collecting the flyers and a young woman told me, oh, it's Sunday, we're closed and forget it. And I thought, <laughs> oh, okay. And I remember, I, the thing I remember the most was how cold it was. And that I remember it was, it was cold. Yeah. yeah, and it was raining. And I didn't bring enough warm clothes. For the whole trip, I had no idea April could be that cold. So, um, and then you suddenly walked in and you introduced yourself. Tell me if I'm wrong. And we said hello. And I think I said my name and you said, Are you the person who wrote Writing Down the Bones? And, yeah. I said, yeah. <laughs> and we had a friendly moment, but you were very busy. Yeah. So I didn't want to be anybody's trouble. So I pretty much left. And um, when I got home about a month and a half later, I got an email from Martha Worthley. And then 
I think I didn't open it up right away, but I had a vague memory. I'd met you and I opened it and you said, well, if you want to come, you can come. And, I, <laughs> and we made a plan for yeah. the next October. And I came for the whole month of October, the next year. Part of me almost said no. Cause oh, I really? Sure. Yeah, only because I didn't, I thought, you're running around too much, Natalie. You know how you get into, you have work to do and you can't run around. But luckily I said yes. Yeah. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most wonderful months of my life. Oh, it's it going to make that, me cry. <laughs> I know. It was so perfect for me. I, I just, I can't tell you. I saw salmon swimming upstream. Yeah. I heard about that, but I didn't, to tell you the truth, I never believed it was true. Yeah. I, who ever heard of such a thing? Salmon swim back upstream to the original place where they were born. You know, I heard it, but I, I actually saw it. Remember, we went to look. We went to look, and it was a little less than astonishing, but then you went to the Elwha. Right? Yes. Yeah, I went to the Elwha, and there they were, flying, flying. Yeah. <laughs> so that was one thing. I mean, I'm not going to keep talking like this. I want to hear from you, but I feel so excited to talk about that month. It was glorious. Yeah. And I also got a lot of work done. And then I would go and sit by the, what do you call that? The bay or what is it with that calm water? Well, the Straits of Juan de Fuca go all around Port Townsend. And that's oh. kind of a narrow, not, not, it's, it's a passageway between the two continents of Canada and uh, the United States. And so... The water comes in from the Pacific. It completely surrounds Port Townsend. And there is a Port Townsend Bay, but where Centrum is located is right at the tip of the peninsula. And the water just swirls around. It's a very dynamic beach well, area. I would go above my cabin and then go down into the sandy beach. Oh, yeah. I would, I would just sit there and sit there and sit there. And at one end was tell me which mountain you could see way in the distance was snow Mount Rainier. Rainier. And the other end was what other mountain? Mount Baker. Mount Baker. I, I mean, it was wondrous. And yeah. I had this water. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. It was just a phenomenal time. I remember the, the day you arrived at, at Centrum and having, I knew that you had been in a very beautiful designer house at Bloedel Reserve. <laughs> I was a little worried how you were going to take our cabins at Centrum on the hill. They are very modest. And, um, and you were immediately comfortable and you put me at ease. You said, oh, I love this. I'm just, I, I'm used to this. I lived without water and plumbing before. This is great. I love it. So I thought, oh, it's going to, it's going to go okay, you know. Um, and then um, at the same time, we had the group of emerging artists, and uh, it seemed like there was a nice um, conversation that happened between you and, and other artists on campus. And I remember one field trip where we went to a studio out in a boatyard, 
to see that was sculptures. so much fun that was yeah. really fun because I was so curious about the state of Washington yeah I mean, Washington is a great great state and I met these artists remember there was was a Chinese woman who was very shy yes and yes and I also knew that none of them knew who I was yeah the, the emerging artists so I think to them, they kind of thought I was sort of an old lady in a cabin doing something. They didn't even know what I was doing. Yeah. And, but it was really fun to be anonymous and to talk to them some. And, you know, it was really just lovely. And yeah. I loved my cabin. From the win <laughs> there was a window over the sink, and I could see the whole bay. Yeah. It was heaven. And also your food co-op was so wonderful. I, I say to people, that's where I learned to love to eat and to cook. <laughs> mm -hmm. I kept just, I must have gained 10 pounds there. <laughs> I was cooking and cooking and cooking and eating. It was wonderful. <laughs> Sometimes I, I would go away on the weekends. I wanted to see the state of Washington. Yeah, and it was it was a beautiful October for one yes. thing, as I recall. And and then that the, the salmon were running, and it just seemed like um, there was there was a certain amount of rain. But I remember you saying, "I crave water. Water right. is <laughs> yes. it's but, so dry." And yeah. uh, but actually, it was sunny almost every day of that October. You also got downtown and, and explored the bookstores in Port Townsend and supported them buying books. And, um, and then there was uh, an artist talk one evening and yes, people were just it, kind of bursting at the seams out of the bookstore. Yeah, it was the imprint bookstore that sells new books. And it was just a wonderful bookstore and it was really fun. I wanted to give back to yeah. the town and then little did I know that across the street was a used bookstore that's actually world famous are you aware of that I didn't it's, know it was world famous I knew people came from all over but yeah people people from all over told me you have to go to this used bookstore yeah and I love that they were right opposite the new bookstore and they were friendly with each other yeah there was yeah. this there was a friendliness in the whole town. Really. Was a, yeah, I think everybody really feels that um, that all all ships rise when you cooperate. I think that's that's basically the feeling of the downtown Main Street. They work together, and um, the William James Bookstore was my place that I would go once a week. Um, when I was studying the artist's way by myself okay. and and it asked you to have an artist date and I would just go and look at as many books as I could on the on the art shelves. It's a remarkable it bookstore. Yeah. Never knew what you would find. Yeah. But the whole downtown, I remember the ice cream parlor mm -hmm. and then right next to it, a candy store with all kinds of old fashioned candies. Yeah. It just was, it was so much fun. <laughs> and, and I also, as a woman that went alone for the month, I felt so safe there. Yeah. Oh, and the movie theater. Oh, the movie great theater. movie theater. And someone told me that you painted the, um, 
was it a curtain or whatever came down? You yeah, I did. It. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, it was a wonderful painting. Thank and then, you. And then um, I think we should tell everybody that the last day I took Martha out for lunch, didn't I? And she took me to a great new restaurant that I hadn't been to before. And I was upset because I wanted to go back again, <laughs> but I was leaving the next day. And she told me that she really painted. I knew she did the curtain in the movie theater, but I didn't know that you know she painted regularly. I said, can I come and see your paintings? And I actually bought one. Yeah, <laughs> I was I, astonished. Yeah, I bought it. And actually, so many people love it. And are oh. so they ask all about it. Also, because it's different than a lot of my paintings. Yeah. Not my paintings, but what I buy. I often buy a lot of paintings. I'm, whenever I sell one of my paintings, I go buy a painting. Oh, what a good process that is yeah. well I was I was I was just happy to show you the work and surprised at your really heartfelt response and flattered and delighted and uh -huh. and then I remember you saying you should be painting to me and it really stuck in my head because I was so busy at Centrum at that time I wasn't painting very much and I just, I, I was balancing the two jobs of the youth program and the artist in residence program and kind of in that role of facilitating everyone else to have art experiences and, and express their creativity. And I, my creativity came through work at Centrum. It didn't come through my studio practice in that year. It had reached a, a crescendo where I just, I really couldn't do any more centrum work and paint at the same time. So that stuck in my head and, and really it, it helped to lead to the decision the following year to build a studio in my backyard and, and leave centrum, which it's kind of an irony, isn't it? It's, I mean, yeah. but, um, yeah, I was, um, I had a feeling that that conversation and my enthusiasm with your art really affected you, but I didn't know how, yeah. but I thought, oh, so she's actually a serious visual artist. Yeah. And so I left remembering that, even though during that month, I thought you were a terrific administrator. Yeah. You know, very relaxed, but got things done. Oh, thanks. Yeah. 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 And I have been working this last year in the studio and finding my way because since I did that series of paintings that you have one of, I didn't, I have lost track of what was my language with visual material. I didn't know where to start or how to start. And what happened was after my husband John died, I found a box that he had saved of maps and it was a big box of maps and they were all um, for camping and hiking in the Cascades and Olympics and down through Oregon and California. So I decided to just start painting on the maps, whatever, however that led me. And um, I've done about, I don't know, a series of about eight paintings big several maps 
stuck together. And uh, just kind of, you know, I, I hear echoed in your writing and your, your books that the answer is in doing the work, not thinking about it, not. And so I just, I really kind of heeded that advice. And although I didn't know what I was doing, I just decided to show up every day and, and work. That's the way to do it. That's it. It, I had read the book on color and painting and although I didn't do a single exercise from it, it's, it's general message really translated to me. And I think that's one of the reasons I was excited to have you to come to Centrum because of that very centered uh, wisdom that you pass on both in your writing and in what I now understand are your workshops. And so I wondered if you could just kind of talk about how did that develop in your work? Did it come out of practice, out of Zen, out of writing? Where, what was the core? You know, it's funny. I don't think anybody has quite asked me in that kind of pointed way. I'm happy you did. But I, um, I think, and I, I try to remember way, way back, even before I met Zen, I had a flash moment deep understanding. I think I was living in Ann Arbor. I can't even know, but it changed everything. It was just a moment. Yeah. yeah. But I saw that you just have to do it. You just have to do it. So I don't even talk about creativity. That's too abstract. Mm. Painting, writing, cooking, doing it. And that's all showing up, picking up the pen, picking up the paintbrush, and kneading the paper. Go. Go. Then I met Zen um, in 19, I don't know, 1974, and it all came together. You know, Zen is definitely walk when you walk, talk when you talk, write when you write sit when you sit, cry when you cry, and die when you die. Mm. Just shut up and do it. Mm. Stop talking. And so I train. I'm, I'm really a Zen person, and I really, it gave me language for the deep insight I had. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and that's what I teach, and it's clear to me, it's particularly Americans and women needed to just get a muscle and do it Mm. and also connect with their passion. People would come to me kind of, well, I think I maybe somehow would like to write. I said, so get going. Yeah, do it. (laughs) And I said, do it two years and then you can decide, do you want to write or not? But otherwise it's all monkey mind. Yeah. Just thinking thought on thought. And, you know, so really my life has been writing, meditating, and painting. Painting is what I call my darling pleasure. Mm. And in the silence of paint, I think I work out things for writing. I don't think about them. But also writing, think about it, is a visual art. You have to get your reader see what you're talking about. So they're all interconnected for me. 
Yeah. And they're not separate. None of it is separate. And I do love to teach. I'm an old public school teacher. I have a teaching certificate. Ah, how, how many years did you teach public school? Oh, probably five or six. And In then I high was, school? High school, yeah. Mm-hmm. And ninth graders who wrote it, um, who read it not at third grade reading level. I love mm. teaching reading. And I taught in the area, I'm so heartbroken, where George Floyd was killed, that area. And I still think of those students. Mm -hmm. They were really, and through working with them, through these African-American kids and Chippewa kids, I developed and understood writing practice. Mm. So I am heartsick because I love these kids so much. And to think that they were, I lived a mile away. And while I was studying Zen and seeing them in the daytime, they were dealing with such hate in the police system in Mm -hmm. Minneapolis that I had no problem with. Right. It really breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I know the the ways in which uh, you and I as white women have sailed through are very fortunate, but it's it's astonishing to really understand what that means. That means that others don't sail through, and ah, uh, it is heartbreaking. It doesn't have to mean that others don't sail through. But it, we have this incredible dichotomy in our country yeah. that is very painful. I've always been aware of it. I've always um, taught. I, I very rarely do I teach a white writer. I mm. mostly teach people of color write um, their novels and memoirs and essays. And I also, for 35 years, have a, a fellowship fund for people of color to come study with me. Fantastic. Yeah, but yeah. this brought it home on a level that's yeah. unbearable. That's yeah. really unbearable. Yeah. I I liked reading in, oh, I'm not sure which book, but you were talking about teaching writing and teaching the use of language as an access to your voice to be a, a part of democracy, that it that it broadened democracy when more people were expressing themselves and participating verbally and written in the written word and did that come from this early public school teaching experience partially and partially um, from this idea of writing practice if you practice writing you have a deeper relationship with your mind and you can learn who you are. And that makes a good citizen because you know what you think and feel and see. And then you can vote and pay attention in a democracy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you don't pay attention, you blank out. And we vote in some really terrible people yeah, that yeah. don't help our democracy. My dream Because I think of writing, I think of art as there's no hierarchy. Mm. There's just people creating. 
And my dream was that all public school kids would do writing practice. Yeah. And connect with themselves and um, grow up as good citizens. Though, you know, writing down the bones has gone quite far. It's still not that far. That's yeah. Far yeah. Yeah. I know when I, I wasn't a professional writer by any means, but um, I read that book when it first came out, I think, in the, um, or maybe some sometime in the 90s, early 90s, and um, started to write. And I have continued to write ever since then. And then I, and I, I really don't share much of my writing. Um, however, I think it gave me the confidence to just apply for the newspaper job uh, when it came along in, in Port Townsend. And it was a time in my life when I had just just barely enough income to squeak by and I needed another job. And here came um, the arts editor job for the Port Townsend leader. <laughs> and what was kind of wonderful was small newspapers hadn't folded up. There was still, I could fill five or six pages in the paper. I could interview people and have multiple photographs. I could describe whole creative processes. And because I was an educator in the schools, I kind of took this platform and decided to, that it was uh, to, to educate about the arts, whether it was architecture or music or writing or visual art. And I, I wrote reviews and I hired other people to write reviews, but it was a very, I, I look back at some of that work and I think, wow, you know, if you write all the time, your word choice gets better. You are thinking, as you say, in pictures, you're, um, it's just so much more lively than the everyday conversations that we have. There's something about folding it into writing, grabbing your inspiration, grabbing your information and kind of weaving it together. And I just, um, I, I would really attribute that to writing down the bones. It's, it's uh, wonderful. yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a great time in my life, but it's, nowadays I do write and I don't really think of it as you do, like with your painting, of, like the three legs of, my creative process. It's somehow some somewhat separate from the painting. But are I also, you, are you sure? Because, I'm not sure. Yeah, because it was when I wrote Living Color, um, that book that I wrote about painting is when I realized that quietly um, painting was feeding my writing life. Before mm -hmm. that, I had no idea that it actually kept it lucrative. Because there was a period in my life when I was young, I thought, I'm not going to paint anymore. I'm giving everything to writing. And I didn't know that the painting fed the writing. And for a year or two without painting, my writing got like dry cereal without the milk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't understand that. Even to this day, I can't tell you exactly what it was, but... By doing a lot of writing about painting, I realized that I need painting in order to write. Mm. Yeah. Well, I haven't 
I haven't been sitting. I've done some meditation workshops, but I haven't been sitting quietly. I've been moving this year. I've just been staying in motion because it's it's been such a it's been a hard year because my husband died. And, you know, Martha, uh, I'm so sorry. When yeah. we should tell people that when I was in the residency, he had cancer, but during the residency. He was much better. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I understood because I had cancer, you know, a year or two before. Yeah. I, w I remember you. I remember telling you. I mean, mostly I didn't share that my husband had cancer. I just would, you know, getting on with work. But I remember telling you, and there was a, an understanding that you had that was very deep in a, you know, I could tell, oh, Natalie really knows what I'm talking about. And then much later, I got your book, the book, Let the Whole Thundering World Come Down. And I read about your experience with cancer. And I am I'm amazed that you could continue through such an experience and come continue writing, continue being and be so well. And I just, I applaud that. And I think also that book, just tell us about that book because it is so, so brave and so revealing, your Thank story. You. Yeah. Thank you. Well, when I had cancer during the time I had, uh, had, I still have it. It's called chronic lymphocytic leukemia. So it's chronic, it doesn't go away. But I've been able, they have great drugs right now that keep things at bay. Mm -hmm. So um, when I had cancer and I was going through all kinds of things, I wrote a book called The Great Spring, which actually I think is the book that I read, gave the reading downtown. I'm not sure downtown Port Townsend at the bookstore. And I wrote it because... Um, I didn't, in that book, I don't even mention hardly cancer. I give a hint that I'm a little sick, but I don't mm. mention it. But what I wanted to do in that book was write about the things I loved, like playing ball with my father when I was young, things like tri trips to Japan that I took on my own. I put them in that book. And while I had cancer, because I've always practiced writing, so when you... If you have cancer, you still brush your teeth. Yeah. You do it every day. Well, I write regularly, so I kept writing. So I wrote a book called The Great Spring. Uh -huh. But as soon as I found out I wasn't going to die and that I was going to live, that's and that was about a year and a half into my cancer, that's when I began the book that you're talking about, where I turn directly and tell the whole story of my cancer. Yeah. And in that book... The odd thing, friends tell me it has narrative drive. You actually turn the page. You want to turn the page to find out what happened to her. Even though my friends knew I survived, in the book, you don't know if she survives or not. Right, right. So and your partner, too, with breast yes. cancer at the same yeah. time. We had cancer together. Yeah. It wasn't easy. And it really helped to write that book. The problem is I think, oh, I wrote the book about cancer. I'm done with cancer. Oh. I'm to something else. Yeah. And actually, that's when I showed up 
at Centrum, I was working on a book about Japanese haiku, which I've finished since then, and it's coming out in February. Oh, great. And I um, acknowledge in the book um, Centrum and thanks Centrum for that time. Yeah. 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 Um, Tell me about that, the whole idea of taking a creative residency um, and that you hadn't done that, you know, for what, 40 years of your career and then you decided to. Well, I think it was after the cancer that I stopped being so driven to get everyone to do writing practice and to teach so much. Mm. And um, I thought I should try, you know, because what I would do is I'd teach, come home, because I usually traveled when I taught, and come home and then I'd work on a book, then go out and travel, work on a book, and I'd go back and forth. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to just go away? and explore other parts, be able to settle down in other parts of the country. So that's when I did the Bloedel on um, Bainbridge Island. Mm-hmm. And then you offered me Port Townsend and I, I love it. And mm-hmm. you know what's even better is to show up, I think, I haven't done that yet, where you have no project and you have a month to explore. Yeah, I want to do that. And I was hoping this September I could do that. But I now, in the last two weeks, have an idea for a new book. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm hoping to work on that at Port Townsend, but I might have to wait because of the COVID for another year. But I don't want to keep putting off coming again. But having a, um, it's wonderful because it's just, you get space and time. So I'd work on the book. This book is called Three Simple Lines. Um, and authors, and oh wait, what do I have? An author's pilgrimage to the heart and homeland of haiku. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, haiku is very deep for me. It's not some simple thing that we learned in fourth grade. It's a very deep practice. And I hope I share it, but I would work on the book at um, Centrum and then I'd wander. I'd go down to the water and just stare. I'd go to the bookstores and just look at books like I did when I was young. Mm. I'd go to the, have breakfast in that great little restaurant you have right on Centrum's campus. So, um, but it's time and space. I went one day, I went to, I don't remember the town, but what, where Raymond Carver lived. In Port Angeles. Port Angeles. I drove to Port Angeles yeah. and I just walked the streets that Raymond Carver had walked. Yeah. And also Tess Gallagher. Yeah. And, um, and I remember driving home from that and the, the, uh, the full moon was coming up and the trees were deep autumn. Mm. And I thought, this is the happiest I've ever been in my whole life. (laughs) I'll never forget that moment. It was just such an opportunity to go someplace else. Uh And since then, I went to a retreat also in Wyoming and got to feel Wyoming. 
but my heart is in Port Townsend and I really oh, want to come I love back. it. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I really want to come back. So you were born in New York and have become a true Westerner, wouldn't yes. you say? I oh, mean, yeah. I left New York at 18 and never looked back. And never went back. Yeah, yeah. Did you go to college at, in Ann Arbor? Is that where I you went, went to college at George Washington University. My, okay. No one in my family had ever gone to college, so they couldn't help me. And mm-hmm. I heard someone went to watch George Washington, so I went. It was the worst choice for me. Oh. I, wanted, I wanted to major in English literature, and they're good with international affairs. Uh-huh. But I met a boyfriend who ha- was in Ann Arbor. So I went and lived with him in Ann Arbor, and we started a restaurant, the first natural foods restaurant in Ann Arbor. Oh, called wow. Naked, called Naked Lunch after um, <laughs> William Burroughs' book, yeah. Naked Lunch. And, and then I came to New Mexico and never, you know, New Mexico's my deep home. Yeah. But boy, is it nice on the West Coast. I was amazed how rich the state of Washington is with your islands and the Olympic Peninsula and then Seattle. And oh my God, it's just great there. Yeah, it's, I, I too am a refugee from the East Coast. I grew up in Rhode Island and oh, I, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. And at 18, I went to school in California. And um, I, I really was homesick for a long while, many years, until I moved to Port Townsend. And then I found my home and just uh, stayed. It's an odd thing when you're from the East Coast. It haunts you for a long time. And yet when I go back, it's clear I don't belong there anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate it. I yeah. appreciate it. And especially at the beginning of the COVID, I think out of some kind of old security, I just kept thinking about the East Coast and how I should move back there. But of course, it's ridiculous. I just yeah. don't belong there anymore. I used to go back to the town I grew up in and I would feel as though all the trees were just kind of pressing down on my head. I didn't have the big expansive sense of sky and place that I had out West. And uh, everything seemed small and crowded and closed in and a lot of traffic. And I loved the history, the beautiful old buildings of New England, but I really never fit back in there after, after a certain time had passed. It's like, oh, you're a West Coast person now. Yeah, yeah, I understand it. I really, there's a good novel, Angle of Repose mm, by I Wallace Stegner. Do you know that book? Yeah. Have you read it? That's really about thinking you're going back, but you never can go back again. Yeah, yeah. It's an odd thing. It's, yeah, it's sort of always walking some edge. Natalie, Tell me about, I think one of the things that you teach and bring and write about is encouraging encouraging everyone to be a writer. We've talked about it a little bit, but there's, you sort of take away that, like, that, that big mysterious bubble around the writer as artist and only an elite 
few can really ever get there. And you make it available in a way. Yeah. Um, well, it's not just writing, but I use writing as the vehicle to express it. Um, well, for sure, everyone should be able to write. We all speak a language. And, um, you know, reading and writing were, are so powerful that when slaves were in the U.S. in the South, mostly, but not only, they were forbidden to learn to read and write. That's how powerful it is. Mm. It empowers you. And think about it. Nothing else. Trees don't write. Um, sky doesn't write. Clouds <laughs> don't write. Cars don't write. It's our right to write and to read. And we all should have those simple skills. And um, they're basic to being a human being mm. and to being part of a society. And we all should be able to do it. But we, oh, I was brought up, I didn't even want to write because it's, I, I had no example of a woman writing in my mm. time. When I was brought up, we studied English literature. And usually from the 17th century, white men dead. So even though I was madly in love with literature, it never even dawned on me it was something I could do because wow. there was nothing about that experience. But actually it was at, when I had naked lunch the, at the restaurant and the whole afternoon I was cutting up onions and eggplants and tomatoes for ratatouille, which we were <laughs> going to serve. And I was really tired. And that day I walked home slowly and stopped at Senecor Bookstore and I thought, you know, Nat, why don't we look at some modern poetry? Because I'd majored in English lit. And there was a thin volume of poetry called Fruits and Vegetables by Erica Jong. Oh, Erica great. And so I pulled it out. And the first poem I saw was about sauteing an onion. <laughs> and that's what I'd been doing all afternoon. <laughs> and I thought, you can write about something like that? Yeah. I closed the book. It kills me. I didn't even buy it. I put it back on the shelf and some synapse probably closed in my brain. And I said, I'm going home and I'm going to start to write. And I'm going to start to write about my family because nobody could tell me I'm wrong because I know them better than anybody else. Yeah. And I went home and I started to write. But I must have been building for years but it never, I just needed to be pushed over the cliff. Yeah. And the reading probably fed that knowledge. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't read women authors. And of mm -hmm. course, what followed was I became a strong feminist. I read mm -hmm. only women authors, et cetera, et cetera, for a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about that time. I, I know I, I had a women's studies class in college it was the very first time the course had ever been offered. So 1973, uh -huh. 1974. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and because I was in art school, we were looking at women artists. And this was just like with women authors, uh, they weren't seen very often. Of course, I grew up knew, knowing about Mary Cassatt. She was very well known. 
but nobody else. And at that time, Frida Kahlo was just having books published. I don't think there was an exhibit in the United States, but that was so illuminating to see this work about someone's personal experience and their, um, you know, just unique characteristics that it really seemed apparent couldn't have been done by any other artist, but a woman artist. Yeah. Once you see it, it, it the whole world opens up. Yeah. But before that, it's like you're living half the world. You know? Yeah. So it, yeah. but it's not just women. I want everyone to be writing. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it, it's so humanizing and so connected and alive. I think that's the misunderstanding about the the word feminist that people don't understand. It's a valuing of all life. Not, yeah. you know, that is, that's what's behind that word. Value women's contributions, value everyone's contributions. And now of course we have Black Lives Matter and we're understanding the contributions um, of every, of artists of color, of everyone, what they bring to the table, not just those in, codified in books that have been taught down through yes the decades yeah yeah and what people don't realize I think why I want when I teach want people of color in my classes it makes the whole thing so much richer Mm -hmm. you know it's not just one view one perspective expands us and it's just so important Mm -hmm. it's so more alive and Mm -hmm. And fertile and rich and and human. It's and human. human. And yeah. human. We share yeah. the human experience. Yeah. 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 Martha, <sighs> this is this has really been wonderful to talk to you because I got in my car, my rental car, drove to Bainbridge, left off the car, took the ferry, and flew home. And that was <laughs> it, you know. Of course, I kept writing and working on this book, but, you know, I, I haven't been back there since. Yeah. And it was so rich and it really helps me to catch up with myself mm-hmm. to talk with you. Yeah. I, you know, here we are in this time where everything is kind of so unknown, you know. Crazy, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy politically, crazy just domestically, crazy on all fronts. And how how are we going to come through this time, I wonder? Not the same, I don't think. I think it's going to be really different. Yeah. Really different. And I think this is just the beginning. The beginning of maybe years of changing or yeah. the beginning of the COVID? Of both, of, of changing both. and never quite being comfortable again, you know, about disease or viruses or people. Like I just heard someone in in a writing practice, I taught a class two days ago, and one of my students in Paris actually in his writing practice said, ooh, now suddenly I feel like I'd much rather bow to people. I don't want to hug them anymore or shake their hands even if we're allowed to, it seems like too much. Too personal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or just kissing people, he said. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. 
I I, I don't think we have any idea where all this is going to take us. Yeah. Well, let's see. What else? Anything else that you want to tell people about uh, writing, residency, your books? I'm, I think I'm... Well, I'm mostly excited about my new book, which will be out in... Um, I think it'll go on sale in December, but it won't formally come out till February. Mm-hmm. And I had an idea. Why don't I just read a little bit from it? That would be wonderful. I've never yeah. read from it. Oh, because of all of this. And um, maybe I'll just read and know that uh, some of this was written at Port Townsend. You know, yeah. So maybe I'll read this. The very beginning. The title of this chapter is Nothing Less Than God. Haiku is a refuge when the world seems chaotic, when you're lost frightened, tangled, and nothing is clear. Now, I'm going to read a haiku from Shiki. Unaware, the place is famous, a man tilling a field. I'll read it again. Unaware, the place is famous, a man tilling a field. Shiki. I read this and cock my head listening deeper than my pain and confusion. A prominent place, a man doing what's in front of him. I read another haiku. Peeling a pear, a trickle of sweet juice along the blade. I smile. I've seen that on the knife many times, and now Shiki has made it conscious Something sexy about it, too. Mm-hmm. A flea bite also, when she is young, is beautiful. It, is it the actual bite, round and pink, that is beautiful? Or the young girl who got it? Or no difference? An insect bite is elemental. My busy thoughts are settling. My curiosity is piqued. The complicated world is made of simple elements. The evening cool, knowing the bell, is tolling our life away. That bell that strikes at twilight marks another day passing. All these years I heard the big hollow sound in the zendo or in a distant church, and an unnameable emotion rose in me, but I never articulated what it was. Of course, impermanence. Maybe I didn't want to know. One full turn of the sun after another, nothing to grab onto. I moved deeper into the truth of my life. Dear, dear, what a fat, happy face it has, this peony. Hmm. Isa. Wait, let me do. The first time I saw a peony was with Jim White, a fine poet. We were walking down Emerson Avenue in Minneapolis in the spring, and there they were, big, 
big, almost rotund, the buds enormous. You know how they open? Jim bent down with his big body. They secrete a sweet sap that attracts the ants. The ants crawl in and open the petals. The be he bent closer and touched one, named it Peony. A whole universe of the Midwest opened. Later I found peonies, petunias, zinnias, other places. But for me, they originated in the heart of the country. Now haiku has woken up memory, led me to grief. Jim died too young of an enlarged heart. The piercing cold in our bedroom, stepping on my dead wife's comb, Busan. I am sailing far beyond my original agony that drove me to haiku an hour ago. That's okay. Any emotion one feels, pure and simple, moves, passes, if accepted. Earlier, I was trying to dominate my confusion, make it clear. Haiku reminds me that it clears of itself with patience over time. And then it goes on. Mm. And I wrote that, I think, at that little cabin. Oh, and wow. At the kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Natalie. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I love I love hearing you read. I love the sound of your voice. It oh, is thank you. It's like coming home somehow. That heavy New York accent. I think I I think that's it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, thanks for being with us here today with me and conversation. I really look forward to our next encounter. Me too. And, uh, I, and I hope it's in person. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much to Martha and Natalie for letting us listen into their conversation. Join us next week for a dialogue between Manuel Arturo Abreu and Jalisa Johnston, which is the first in a series of artist pairings put together with the help of new archives. Manuel Arturo Abreu's side project, Tabor Dark, is responsible for the theme music on our podcast, so we're particularly excited to have them joining us for this. New Archives is an online journal based in Seattle that covers art exhibitions, events, and conversations in the Northwest. Visit new-archives.org to read Ashley Stollmeyer's I Don't Like Art and a wonderful array of writings that reflect on current inequities within the arts field, challenges to major arts institutions, readings for the revolution, our relationships with art collections in our homes, and contributions from artists across the region. To follow the activities of Centrum Residencies, find us on Facebook and Instagram under Centrum Residencies, and we invite you to become a part of our community, which includes virtual meetups, opportunities to apply for residencies, and programs that connect artists and community in creativity. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. 
The creator and host of On Air is Michelle Hagwood, Program Manager for Artist Residencies. Our cover artwork is by Leon Finley, and our music is by Tabor Dark. Centrum's Executive Director is Robert Berman. Centrum Podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our Executive Producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, from the place known by the Sklalem people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives, and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. Other Centrum podcasts include music from the Centrum archives, interviews with teaching artists, and readings from the Port Townsend Writers' Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020 Centrum Foundation.